Uh, Okay, hey, go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. We are going to jump right in. We have a sermon that is really going to cover a whole lot of ground, okay? So if you're the person that doesn't enjoy reading the Bible, one, I'll pray for you. Two, we're going to get a lot of it this morning. And uh, really, uh, even in between the scriptures that we're not reading, I'm more or less going to be summarizing as we're going to work through Acts chapter 3, and we're going to get all the way to Acts chapter 8, the beginning of 8. So, yes, I know. Good thing I talk fast, right? Uh, Some of you don't care for that, but here we go. Listen, last week, Peter preached the very first sermon in church history. That is what we covered. If you missed it, you can go back and listen. Um, my voice by the end of that sermon, I could tell, was, was pretty much done. So if you think I sound different now, it was way different last week. Uh, but I'm grateful. Hey, I'm upright and I'm better. And here we are ready to go. So from last week, he preaches that first sermon. We are now picking up right after that. Again, Acts chapter 3, picking up verse 1. You'll also see it on the screen. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth. Highlight that, take a mental note of that, remember that. Lame from birth. He was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Oh my goodness. Just just take a step back for a second. Because the boldness of these apostles, it's just continuing to grow. I mean, Peter and John, they enter the temple's outer courtyard. It's known as Solomon's Porch, uh, which was a significant gathering place for intellectual discourse and debate. That is what's taking place right there. And so, I want you to get this picture in your mind. These people who are out on Solomon's porch is what we'll say. Uh, These are people, they are mostly men, who sit around and they debate philosophy. Think Pythagoras, think think Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, uh, Democritus, and so many more. These men, they were well-educated, they were well-versed in Greek philosophy and religious debate, But in walks that beggar who sat outside that portico all these years begging. This is where faith and reason absolutely collide. And I wish I could see the look on these men's faces as they were possibly debating Pythagorean's theorem. Flashbacks to sixth grade algebra, I know. But they they, they could be debating this, right? Something logical, something very reasonable, and yet a miracle quite literally walks in the door. So they're floored because this man has been lame for how long? You know the answer. 
The man has been lame since birth. So it's not reasonable. What is going on? To make it worse for these men, to make it worse, who's responsible? These uneducated fishermen, Peter and John or something or other. And so I know there will always be debate. There will always be you know, political discourse that some will allow to get the best of them. Uh, it was around then, it's around now. It's, it's, it's simply the way sometimes life works. But what shuts it all down, what shuts all of it down, what shuts down the fighting, the disunity, the hatred in this moment, it's the presence of God. It's, it's, it's a miracle literally walking in. And so immediately for me, as I just think of, of our culture, our life today, I think we as Democrats and Republicans, independents or something else, I think all we need is to take a breath and simply expect God to show up because there is nothing more uniting, there's nothing more loving and more powerful than Jesus. And Peter knows this, okay? So, so Peter, who would, in, the, in this moment, right, they walk in with this miracle, this man who was lame since, oh, didn't catch on that one. It's okay. You will have another chance. He's been lame since birth. So this happens. It walks right into to Solomon's portico, so in this moment, what, what do they do? Well, Peter, the rest of Acts 3, he goes on to preach a very culturally relevant message to those in this outer court about Jesus. He highlights some of the same talking points again he did in his first sermon that we covered last week. Um, so all of that is great. But what do you think Rome began thinking of this? What do you think the powers that be, the people who are in charge, the people with all the influence, so what do you think they thought of this? I'll give you a hint. They weren't fans. If, if you don't know, they, they didn't like this. This was actually making Rome nervous. Uh, the religious Jewish leaders, they were upset because they were losing influence over the people. And as a byproduct they were now losing power to control the people. Historically, there had been a lot of submissive peace. And if there wasn't, it was people were beaten into submissive peace. And this was all over Rome. And the relationship between the Jewish leaders and the Roman Empire, it's beginning to sour in this moment. Because these new believers in Jesus are not quiet about their faith. They are no longer controlled by these, by these Jewish leaders. They are preaching a new way of faith. They are taking care of each other, and they are taking care of the forgotten, the people on the underside of the empire that had previously been completely ignored or ostracized. This is turning into a legitimate threat to the Caesar's power and the ruling local kings. So Rome responds with intense persecution toward Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians at this point. They, they a lot believed that this was a, a different approach to Judaism, but some started calling it the way with a capital W. So there's intense persecution to followers of the way. Picking up in Acts 4, verse 1, go with me there. And as they were speaking to the people, this is Peter and John again, 
the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Okay, that last verse is incredible. I'll get to those others in a moment. That last verse is absolutely amazing. Uh, that's 5,000 men, we don't know about women or children, became followers of Jesus. Uh, that is about 10% of the believed population at the time. Y'all, that's zero to 10% in no time at all. And so Peter and John are brought before the Jewish high priest and the Jewish ruling council. I'm just kind of telling you what else is happening in Acts 4. They are there to answer for these apparent crimes. But listen, don't overlook this. Because this is some very, very scary stuff. The high priest and the Jewish ruling council here these are the same exact men who charged Jesus with blasphemy and they handed him over to Rome to be executed. Peter and John are standing before the same people. I mean, put yourself in their place for a moment. At this point, you've been entrusted with this new movement. Again, the popular phrasing that was developing was the way or the way of, of Jesus. And God is blessing this movement. The Holy Spirit is moving powerfully. All of that is great. But you are still standing before the same people who killed your teacher and your friend. This really puts our faith and our life into perspective because we are blessed to live where we are. We, we really are. We, we are blessed to be where we're at and experience what we do, the freedom and the liberty we have it is, it is really humbling. So what's Peter and John going to do? Is this the moment where Peter then regresses once more? Because we have studied for so long about Peter's flawed nature. And it's like given the most important moment, he kind of crumbles under the pressure. That's the Peter that we've studied. That's the Peter that we know to this point. Let's see what he does in Acts 4 verse 7. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? They're talking about that man who had been lame since, gosh, all 12 of you nailed it. That was so good. We'll get the other half of people in just a little bit. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the, of the people and the elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Pause for one second. I love that Peter is just like throwing in the gospel truth in the midst of it. Not only is he going to not cower, and not backpedal, he's gonna preach it to their face. Yeah, that guy you killed, yeah, God raised him from the dead. It's by that power that all this has happened. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. 
and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Church, say amen. 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 Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, amen, common men, amen, they were astonished. And they recognized they had been with Jesus. In the New Testament later, it says that God uses the foolish things in the world to shame the wise. And the miraculous things taking place simply cannot be reasonably explained away. Simply put, Peter and John are completely unremarkable men. Yet, the fact that they are preaching what they're preaching, doing what they're doing, with the boldness that they have, the elite can't make sense of it. And so if you are here today and you feel like a nobody, or you have nothing to offer, then you simply don't understand how God works. Because he's taken uneducated, unpopular, backward, hot-headed people, and he's changed the world. And he continues to do so with all of us. You are in good company. So, just to summarize what else is going to happen, they have a back and forth with these men. And ultimately, Peter and John are warned, if you keep preaching about this Jesus of Nazareth, you will meet the same fate. So shut up and move on quietly. So how are they going to respond to this? Because that is serious. I mean, just two or so months earlier, Peter denied knowing Jesus when this threat was possible, remember? It wasn't as direct of a threat, but he's around the fire, right? And he's surrounded by enemies of the way of Jesus. Actually, at that point, it was just Jesus. He, he's surrounded by enemies of Jesus. And so Peter crumbles. He denies Jesus. And so here he is standing in front of the people who were responsible for getting Jesus executed. Like this, honestly, the stakes are a little higher now, right? He has a threat to his face from the same people. So what are Peter and John going to do? Hey, guys, listen, we, we had a great run. Let's scale it back a little bit. Maybe let's focus on like a fall festival and quietly hand out pamphlets. Hey, 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 shh, shh, shh. Listen, we're not going to do the whole Holy Spirit thing anymore, okay? We're just going to sit down quietly let's, and let's do some reflective reading and meditation instead. Do you think that's what they did? Come on, you got to know where this is going. Of course not, right? Uh, All of this moves forward. They don't don't do that at all, obviously. They actually go back and they celebrate. What? They celebrate this encounter with other believers, and then they pray for even more boldness. Pause. Who is this Peter? This is a different guy. We sat here for six weeks seeing him fumble and struggle, deny, mischaracterize, misunderstand, seek his own will instead of Jesus's over and over and over. Who is this guy? So I just, I just think it confirms to me that when Jesus calls us, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. Amen, church? He knows exactly what he's doing. The first recorded prayer 
now follows in Acts 4.29. Look at this first prayer. It comes from Peter right here. Uh, the first, I should say, the first recorded prayer uh, in the early church. Here it is, verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And so, Instead of trying to figure a way out, Peter prays for more, and it comes. Peter is praying for more, and it follows. I mean, people are responding to the preaching of the gospel. They are being healed. They are being taken care of. And again, their religious authority in Rome is getting angrier and angrier because they are losing their influence. They are losing their power. And then scripture says this. And if you want a picture of what the church could be, look at this, Acts 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. This is why we take care of our own. This is why giving is important. This is why we don't just say, be generous with your finances, but we say, be generous with your time and your energy and your effort as well. And as a church, if I could just personally testify to this, I see this here at Rock Vineyard. Now, we don't bring every single person up and proclaim their need. There is discretion, there is privacy, there's, there's honor in those things. But church, we take care of needs just like this, and I mean this, on a weekly basis. I can assure you what you give does not line the pockets of the pastors who become wealthy, but what you give takes care of the bills of others, takes care of the groceries of others, the needs of others who will approach us in private and ask for help. Church, I'm so proud of the work that you're doing. And as I read this, 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 this scripture this week, I didn't have to think of our church I naturally thought of our church. And, and at times, even I don't get a front row seat to some of the giving and, and some of the things that go on behind the scenes as, as we have other people who are also in charge and, and do things like that. But Rock Vineyard, you are living out the gospel and I am just so proud to be one of your pastors. Now, moving on, I, I know it's pastor appreciation, but I'm just like congregation appreciation. I love y'all. Y'all are doing some great work and, and I really am humbled and grateful for you. Now, we do need to move forward in our story. Moving into Acts chapter five, the Holy Spirit continues to move powerfully, okay? And, and of course, the persecution continues. 
Peter continues to speak and preach boldly. Um, and here is where, listen, um, our more charismatic brothers and sisters, they really love this. And those who aren't, this is going to be a little hard, okay? Um, and and, and this, is, this is just how the Bible records this, okay? So Peter's speaking, he's preaching boldly. And I mean this in all reverence, okay? I really do. Some freaky stuff really, really begins happening as multitudes of men and women begin bringing their sick family and friends on mats and cloths, dragging them to the street. Picture it in your head if this is taking place here. We're dragging our sick on mats out to Bardstown Road, okay? So, so they're dragging people out to the main road. Uh, just so Peter, as, as, as he's walking down the street, uh, as he was spearheading the new movement in this powerful way, this God-anointed way, um, well, in, uh, in, in Acts 5, there's, the, it records that, uh, that Peter's shadow alone was healing people. Not just healing people. Uh, Acts 5.16 actually says his shadow and, and him preaching and praying healed all people. All of them. All of them. Am I the only one struggling with that? Like, like y'all are just looking at me like, yeah, that makes sense. Like that. That doesn't make sense to me. Like, I would love to see that. And I, I, I believe it could happen. Absolutely. But, but that's what's happening. And, and I think the lesson from us right here immediately is humility. Because if you're going to ask God to move, listen, y'all, expect it to get strange. That, that, that's just a fact. It's going to get unexplainable. It's, it's going to get, in all reference, freaky. And because of this, the apostles, of course, get into trouble again. Acts 5 records how they were arrested. An angel shows up and actually frees them and says, hey, actually, boys, not yet. Go preach some more, you know? So they're still on their way. They go preach some more the next day. And uh, the temple captain and the high priests are furious because how they get out, they don't know. So they show up again. They go get them. Acts 5, 27. Go with me there. You'll see it on the screen as well. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. Again, the high priest questioned them. Pause. Just picture this. Because Peter, once more, he is eye to eye with the man that condemned Jesus to death. It's that high priest. That high priest who turned Jesus over to Pontius Pilate. Peter is standing in front of that guy and Peter is going to have to make an important decision. Is he scared again? Is he going to regress? Is he going to deny Jesus? Is he going to ask everybody, yeah, okay, let's, let's, let's tone it down a little bit. Let's, let's whisper this thing. What's going to happen? Verse 28. We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. And yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. He's talking about Jesus. And he's saying like, you keep saying that we killed him. You keep trying to make it all about us. Stop doing that. Stop preaching. So that was Peter's message to the crowds, right? Like you killed him. This is on you. The chief priests are like, no, this, that's not it. Verse 29 Peter and the apostles answered, 
we must obey God rather than men. And listen, maybe it's something inside me. I don't think it's a sinful nature. Something inside me just identifies with that. Maybe it's a little rebelliousness inside of me. I don't know, like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Heaven, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm all about that. We must obey God rather than men. Verse 30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus. And here he goes telling them again, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And Peter is just reminding them. He's like, yeah, the blood is on your hands. You all did do this. Verse 31, God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. Remember that, highlight it, underline it, whatever. We are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Listen, Peter is saying, y'all, we didn't just hear about this. This isn't just secondhand knowledge. We were there, we saw it, we experienced it. And then God raised him from the dead. We had breakfast on a beach. It is all true. Man, I'm just so impressed by this boldness. And then the leaders respond. Look at verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. And so they believe, these leaders at this point, they believe this is going to stop it all. If we can get rid of this inner circle, or at least Peter and John, but, but maybe some others, right? This should kill this movement, and we can actually be done with it. Let's just kill them all right here. Well, as they're considering this, they take Peter and the others to another room so they can actually talk about it in private, how we're going to kill them right now. That is the consensus in the room, okay? I don't know how many leaders there are, but let's say that there are 10, okay? It appears eight or nine of them are all in favor. Let's do it here and now. Well, if you look ahead, there is someone named Gamaliel, okay? Gamaliel stands up, and he's one of them, okay? He hates this as much as anybody, but Gamaliel essentially says, we can't do this, y'all. He had the Kentucky accent. He said, y'all. He said, we can't do this, y'all. We, we can't because their blood will be on our hands. This is what we're being accused of. We can't do this. So Gamaliel asserts, hey, I think Rome will take care of this. We don't have to do it, okay? So, so think of these religious leaders who want to hand everything over to Rome. To Gamaliel says, hey, Rome won't let this go on. Be patient. Rome will take care of this. And so Gamaliel is trying to get Rome to do the dirty work, and he's saying, be patient, y'all. And so let's, let's teach them a lesson today. Yes, let's do that. But we will not kill them. And so uh, the speech actually works. He convinces the majority to go with what he says. Look at verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, you know, back into the room, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, I don't want to move on too quickly from this because if you have a different translation than what I'm reading from today, you need to know they, they weren't just beaten. But other translations use this word flogging. And, and flogging is when someone very strong takes a cat of nine tails, 
with strips of metal or glass and not to be too graphic, but as they whip the person they're whipping, it doesn't just scratch them, it doesn't just bruise them, it rips skin off of them. It is violent, it is bloody, and it's all for the sake of Jesus. And and not only would they experience this themselves, but they would witness their best friends going through this as well. So the question is, how would you respond? Because here's how they respond. Look at this, verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing. Listen, I don't know about you. I lose my religion on Bardstown Road sometimes because some of you really know why. (sighs) Always wear your helmet. These guys are rejoicing after being flogged. Why? Look at verse 41. They were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. These men were permanently scarred, lives threatened, and yet first century Christians rejoiced in the face of this violent persecution simply because they believed Jesus gave everything up for us. He gave everything up for us. What an honor it is to be placed in his company that Jesus willingly gave up his life. He could have stopped it. He could have had the legions of angels come and stop it and save him. But Jesus chose not to do that. He chose to suffer. He chose to bleed. He chose to die. He chose all of this. So yeah, we don't mind to suffer a little bit for the cause of Christ. And look at this, verse 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. I'm just going to be really honest with you. This is what persecution looks like. And look how they responded. So when we consider, when we feel persecuted for our faith, how do we respond? I think we, we have some steps to take in our response. Because these men, they weren't trying to influence Rome. They weren't trying to gain political power, achieve political power. They weren't trying to fight a culture war. They were not campaigning against Roman rule or trying to get their way. They simply loved God and loved people more than they loved themselves. And church, that is the message I want us to walk away with today. That to love Jesus, that the way of Jesus is to love sacrificially, to love without keeping score, to love without holding grudges, to love without ceasing, placing ourselves and our well-being last. And yet some of us, we're we're sucked into fighting, if you will, a culture war about our preferences and, and how we think everything else should be going. We've, if you will, we've lost the plot. This is about sacrificial love and counting it joy when we face challenge or persecution. And this lesson continues in the next chapter. I'll I'll quickly highlight it really, really fast. 
In Acts chapter 6, the apostles realize they need some help with the managerial needs of the church. So they appoint seven men of good repute filled with the Holy Spirit and wise to do this. And one of them is a man named Stephen. Stephen is a bold witness for Jesus. And the Bible says he was filled with grace, power, and he performed signs and wonders. But some leaders at the local synagogue began to debate him, so they seized him. Uh, Stephen is brought before the council and the people who are there They lie. And they say Stephen is trying to destroy the temple. So so what is Stephen's response? If you flip ahead in Acts 7, Stephen gives an emboldened and passionate speech about how Israel has a history of rejecting God's prophets and how they did it with the Messiah, Jesus. And they're continuing to do it now with the disciples and apostles. Toward the end of Acts 7, look at this, in verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. It's kind of a theme here, I guess. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, and this is, this is Stephen, remember. We just met him a chapter earlier. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witness laid down and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, Stephen calls out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep which is the Bible's way of saying he died. And Saul approved of this execution. And that is the Saul. And we're going to meet him next week. But for right now, in this moment, worship team, would you mind to join me? In this moment right now, and, and, and from last week, Last week, the challenge was church. Let's take a bold step. Let's take a bold step this week. Well, that challenge continues as you can't really avoid that when we wrap up with the first martyr in church history and Stephen and his final words, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. So as we sit here today, as we consider these things right now in this moment, who are the people, who are their relationships, who are those hard-to-love people that as you sit here right now, you need to forgive. Stephen is being stoned to death. 
And his, his response is not self-defense. His response isn't even run and save your life. His response is forgiveness. And I believe the Lord is leading us into bold forgiveness today, into a boldness in love for our enemies in a bold faith.